Hello and welcome to the Prospect Sermons podcast, the preaching ministry of Prospect Baptist Church. This podcast is dedicated to the faithful exposition of the scripture and the edification of the local church. This is Parker Smith, Senior Pastor of Prospect Baptist, located in Fayetteville, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the sermon you are about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's Word, point you toward the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. Amen. Thank you so much, Scott and Kim and our choir. I leaned over to my wife and I said, you know, I'm going to be singing that song all day today. And uh, so I will hasten glad and free all day long this Sunday. Just so you'll know, if you want to join in with me, feel free to do that. Uh, If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter number six. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 13. If you're new here with us, again, just a word of welcome and thank you for being here. Um, If you are new to us, we do something here called expository preaching. We work our way through books of the Bible. Uh, We do them, uh, I say slowly, and we have been working through slowly, but we really do it at the pace that the Lord would will. And we just wanna examine his word and and glean from his text. And so um, we're coming to the end of the book of Galatians. And some of you have asked, and I've tried to give you as much that I know as we work through uh, different books of the Bible, where we're going to be going next. I have a plan. I do try to plan about six months out as much as I can, sometimes a little bit longer. Uh, and I've had the luxury now to plan a little bit longer than, than most. Um, but after this, we will do kind of a mini series through uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and through chapter 6, verse 4. Going to be looking at four weeks, I think, of a gospel-centered family and how the gospel influences our life together within the home, husbands and wives and wives and husbands and dealing with their children as well. And uh, going to be looking at that for a few weeks. And then we're going to jump into an Old Testament book, the book of Malachi. And we're going to be in there for about seven weeks. And that will conclude roughly, uh, I think, the day after Christmas on December the 26th. And um, then we'll have a New Year's message and then going into the book of Acts from there. Uh, I don't know entirely how long it'll take us to get through the book of Acts, but uh, we will. it's narrative, and so we'll break that up a little bit differently than we have this epistle. Um, but just a heads up of where we're going. And so the Apostle Paul, in the book of Galatians now, uh, we find ourselves um, really wrapping things up. And Paul is wrapping up and summarizing his argument against the false teachers and the next last two messages we have this week and next week, and then we will conclude the book of Galatians. And I've, I've broken this text up. Maybe if you look in your scripture, um, maybe and seem a little bit mid, a midway point and maybe a mid paragraph. Uh, and if you notice in verse 14, I just bring this out to let you know I'm highly aware of what's going on in the text, but there's a, a major conjunction that takes place in verse 14. It starts with the word, but. Uh, Paul is, is really comparing a couple of different motives. And in what you're going to see in verses 11 through 13 is that he's exposing the false motive of the false teachers. And then in verses 14 through 16, Paul will then give his true aim and motive and then wrap up his writing to the, to the churches at Galatia. And so we'll have two parts and we'll conclude next week in the book of Galatians just so you'll have a heads up. It's not going to be on the screen this morning, and I know I told you to turn to the book of Galatians, but if there is a verb, or there is a proverb, rather, that comes to mind as I 
studied and prepared this text. Um, it's a scripture that the Lord has increasingly brought to my attention over the past several months and over the past several years as well. Um, just because it is um, such a, I think, a difficult thing to do and something that we often struggle with, um, the fear of man. And um, Proverbs 29, 25 says this, says, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And so we're gonna see how the fear of man really, I believe, affects these false teachers and maybe even could affect us as well. And so I'm gonna do my best uh, to let that proverb, the thought of that proverb really ring throughout this message uh, as we unpack his word this morning. So if you would, out of honor and reverence of the reading of God's word, would you stand as we read Galatians chapter six, verses 11 through 13. Paul says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. This is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, would you say amen? amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and you would give us ears to hear this morning. I pray that as we study your word, that we would not see this word in light of void, rather, of your son. I pray that we would be spurred on to Christ-likeness and godliness, not living in the fear of man, but ultimately in the fear of the Lord, and seeking to live devoted lives to our great Savior. I pray that you would encourage us, you would challenge us, you would spur us on to godliness in Christ. I pray that by your spirit, we would receive your word and we would believe it in faith and that we would apply it in our lives as we leave here today. Father, it is in your son's name that we do pray, amen. You may be seated. I wanna call your attention to a couple of things this morning, namely Paul's final words and Paul's final warning. Paul's final words, you see that, it comes very clear in verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is very likely that the apostle Paul would often use a scribe to help him pen the letters that he wrote to the churches. Some believe, however, that the apostle may have penned the entire letter of Galatians. That is certainly plausible and perhaps even within reason. He's made mention of this a couple of times. I, Paul, write to you. He's thinking he's done it again in chapter two as well. Yet Paul would nonetheless often conclude his epistles with a final word to the churches himself. It was a way that he would kind of encapsulate the address that he has given to them with his own penmanship. And, and, and so as to say, see that it is really me who is writing to you. See that it is truly the Apostle Paul. This was his custom in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 21, as he concludes his letter to the church at Corinth. It's also his habit of Colossians chapter four, verse 18, as he ends his letter to the church at Colossae. It was also his way of writing in 2 Thessalonians as well as he concludes his writing to the church at Thessalonica. It was also the way that he penned his letter to Philemon in Philemon 19. Usually, Paul's statements are really just one or two sentences. They come at the very end 
of his writing of the epistles or of his letters so as to say, like I said, know that it is Paul that's been writing this to you, have been communicating this to you. And they're usually just one or two sentences max. Yet what's interesting and what's clear here is that there's more to this letter than just a couple of sentences remaining. There's an entire paragraph. There's an entire thought train that's behind the Apostle Paul. It's so the Apostle Paul is, has something that he's wanting to emphasize, particularly to the churches at Galatia. And in verse 12, he specifically and intentionally connects the teachings of the false teachers and the false teachers to that of circumcision. He has hinted at it before. He's implied that. He's alluded to that. But here he makes it definite. And he says to the churches of Galatia, don't shift back to seeing the law as a means of justification. It's only gonna be to your demise and to your destruction. You've been freed, Galatians. Don't be enslaved to these things all over again. It's so as to say, if you miss it on justification, if you miss the gospel on means of justification, then you miss the gospel altogether. And it was what these false teachers were teaching. You see this even in the book of Acts when we reference back to the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15, some men came from Judea teaching to the brothers, unless you were circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. And Paul is arguing against that, combating that false teaching of justification by works of the law and he's saying that's not true, that's false. Beloved, you are saved only by the grace of God and justified by faith in Christ. And so he says, he says, if you're trusting not in the finished work of Christ, are you trusting in your flesh? You can only have it one or the other. You're either trusting in Christ or you're trusting in yourself. There is no middle ground. So out of concern, the apostle Paul effectively says, scribe, I want the pen here. It's that big of a deal to him. And he aims to write his final words, if nowhere else in the letter, certainly here. And the Galatian churches would have noticed something very different about the text that was being wrote. You could say that the font type changed. The script changed from what was maybe even a clean and legible writing of that of the scribe, the gifted and trained in the art of penmanship. Now the Galatians are met with these rather large, probably boxy and scripted script of the apostle Paul's own hand. The typeface change indicating a shift. It's like putting it in all caps. I don't want you to miss this changing the font altogether, put it in italicized, don't miss this. And the shift of the font would have been noting something to the Galatians and it would have no doubt cut them to the heart because they would have seen, we know this writing. We know this to be the writing of our beloved apostle, our co-laborer, our brother, our friend, our apostle, our teacher of the churches. Here are my final words to you. Here's my final warning to you, Galatians. I write this with my own pen and with my own hand. 
the deceptions of the Judaizers, of the guise of religion coming to Jesus as merely a one-off and attempting to live in the works of the flesh as if they could save you. Seeing Jesus as merely a path to right standing instead of the only way to God. They would see him as merely a bonus, but not the essence of what it means to life in Christ and life in God. They're taking Jesus without his cross. And they're living without uniting with him by faith and living in the way of the cross. The apostle Paul says, these are my final words to you. I write them with my own hand. He continues and gives his final warning. Verses 12 through 13, he says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Do you see how Paul has built this argument to this point? There's works of the flesh and there's fruit of the spirit. There's living in the flesh and there's living in the spirit and by the spirit. There's this bearing with one another, not living selfishly. There's a sharing with, a bearing with one another's burdens. Beware not to shift back and live in the flesh. These Judaizers are doing just that. They're living by the flesh and they're not living by the spirit. And what this leads to, Paul is warning them, they are tempting to have Christ without his cross. That the flesh is growing and he says, lest you beware that it is rising, lest it consume you like it has consumed these false teachers. And Paul gives, I believe, a series of warnings that I see in this text and I just wanna call them to your attention this morning. The first one is a warning of a religious cloak. Look at the language of verse 12. It's very quite telling. Did you notice that their motive, it's that of control, it's that of power, it's that of forcing you to do something, forcing something upon someone else. The word that's used here for the word forced or compel is the word anakazo. It's used three times in this letter of the book of Galatians. One is here. The other two come in chapter number two where first of all, you see the false brothers attempting to have Titus forecircumcised. They were forcing that upon them. And the other came a little later in chapter two in which Peter was living like a false brother requiring that the Gentiles obey food laws compelling them to live a certain way. It was such a strong persuasion, many of them would feel forced to do so. To live accordance to the Jewish food laws and table fellowship to be in order to be in step or in good fellowship with God's people. And now here these Judaizers are doing the same thing. And note their motive. We'll see it here in just a second. But don't call it love, prospect. It wasn't love. Because love, beloved, 1 Corinthians 13 is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boat. It's, it's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. And yet these Judaizers, only looking out for themselves, were not only insisting, not only compelling, but attempting to force them to be circumcised. 
It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that would force you to be circumcised. They're in it for a show. They're in it for a religious appearance. They didn't love the Galatians. Paul knows that. You could say it this way, you know love when you see it, right? See the large letters with which I write you, the apostle Paul would say, this is love. I have love for you. They don't love you. The word here for good showing, it means to be physically attractive or compelling from a worldly standpoint. It was used a little later in the second century to describe that of a business leader who in order to show a positive metric under his leadership would sort of fudge the numbers a little bit to make himself look better. He would reframe the situation so as to convince or compel that a situation was better than it really was. It was to give a good showing, don't miss this, in the eyes of man. It was to prop themselves up, to prop up their flesh. It's not sincere, nor is it out of love for others, but it's in love for themselves. It's to make much of themselves. It's to give the appearance of godliness, but godly it is not. Sound familiar? Namely that of the Pharisees. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. And after you find Matthew 23, I want you to keep your thumb there because we're gonna keep flipping back. What you see in this text of the Judaizers is very similar to the same mindset that you see in the religious Pharisees of Jesus' day. Matthew 23, Jesus gives a list of compelling woes against the teachings and the life of the Pharisees I'm gonna bring this out this morning and show you in Matthew 23 and Galatians 6 that hopefully that you can see this same mindset is the mindset of pharisaicalism. It's Phariseeism. It's, it's, it's putting on a religious show. Matthew 23, verses 25 and 26. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean out the outside of the cup and the plate, but in, inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean out the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may be clean. Paul is building his argument here, I believe, with that type of mindset in view from these false teachers. To say contextually, as he says, don't live for yourself, don't live for your flesh. It's only gonna grow. Instead, bear one another's burdens. Don't live selfishly. Live not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Be Christ-centered. Be concerned for others. Share, be generous. There's reaping and sowing. It's not just about you. There's judgment coming. God is not mocked. Live unto the Lord. Let these Judaizers have a totally different mindset, living only for themselves, in it only for themselves. They're unconcerned with true discipleship. They're unconcerned with true righteousness. They merely just want to put on a front and look good. They weren't concerned with true fellowship of Jesus. They thought if only we could give the appearance of something as to be seen righteous in the eyes of men. Beloved, and that will be their only reward. Seen righteous in the eyes of men. And how many churches 
And how many pews are filled with this same type of carnality, this same type of godless living, godly living. Let me just check off a box to feel better about myself. Equating your relationship to the Lord with external carnal means of living. I go to church. I'm a member of XYZ church. I participate and I wear this type of clothing to church. The list goes on of how we can begin to build religious pride in our hearts. And Paul says, be careful of a religious guise of mistaking replacing that with genuine fellowship and humble submission to our Lord. Be warned of a religious cloak that you can put on. Secondly, be warned of idolatry. There's a warning of idolatry. You see it in verse 12 again. It is those who want to make a good showing of the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. The motive continues. Only that they made a void the cost of following Jesus, namely that of being persecuted. No doubt, they would have been aware, they would have seen the severity of persecution for following Jesus. They would have seen the cross-bearing of the Apostle Paul. They could attest of many Christians facing threat and being fully devoted followers of Christ and giving their very lives to this sin. They were also very well aware of a particular contextual situation, namely with a specific sect of Judaism, that of the zealots, who were very zealous against any Christians wanting them to be squashed out. And these false teachers were likely going to these zealots saying, hey, calm down, calm down, calm down. We're just trying to convert them back to Judaism. Namely, that they would be circumcised again. Peter out of the fear of the circumcision party was duped to the same thing, to persuade the Gentiles over issues of table fellowship in Galatians chapter two. Out of fear of man, beloved, they began to fear man rather than the Lord. And now these Judaizers, desiring to keep in good standing with the priest of the zealots, they were now compromisers out of fear. You could say it this way, they would rather have safety than the truth. And out of the fear of man, they lived and their lives were governed. Something like safety rose to the degree of ultimacy. We would rather have security than true salvation. We would rather have comfort than conformity to Christ. We would rather be in good standing with the eyes of men than in the eyes of the Lord. And they took the road of safety over the road of the cross. May I present to you, beloved, we will be tempted to do the exact same thing. To replace and to think the road of Calvary is the road of comfort. That the road of Calvary is is God's means of making you happy and healthy. Second Timothy chapter three, the apostle Paul writes, you however have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, 
all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. And to avoid persecution, these Judaizers were thinking that they could have Christ without his cross. Beloved, they thought that you could have Christianity without the bloody cross of our Lord. How foolish is their thinking? And the apostle Paul reminds them of that and by way of that reminds the Galatians not to live in the fear of man. Psalm 56, verse three and four says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? That's living in the confidence of Christ. That's living in the confidence of the Lord. That's living not in the fear of man, but living in the fear of God. The third warning is a warning against that Christianity without a cross in order that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Beloved, you can't have it both ways. To follow Jesus means to follow him into suffering and into persecution. You can't separate, you can't remove the cross from Christianity. And if you do that, you lose the offense. Remove the cross and persecution ends. Refrain from calling others to repentance and you'll have a life of ease. Ignore sin and your life will become a lot more comfortable. Christianity without the cross moves towards comfort and moralism, but it will only be a road that ends in destruction. The apostle Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter one, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The book of Galatians is often called the epistle of the crucifixion because Paul makes it abundantly clear that there is no way that you can separate Christ from his cross. If you have Christianity without the cross, you have no Christianity whatsoever. And your life, beloved, your life in Christ is a union with Christ in his suffering and living in the way of the cross. So the apostle Paul would say in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 3.1, oh foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? It was before your very eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desire. Galatians 6, 14. But far be it for me to boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Beloved, your life in Christ will cost you. And living for Christ will continually and increasingly become more and more costly. 
living according to the word of God, standing upon the scriptures, living out the scriptures, truly seeking to honor the Lord and obey Christ by taking commandments seriously. Beloved, it won't take long till arrows start flying. And you can't have it both ways. There are only two religions in this world. One is the way of man. It's that of works righteousness. And that is the way of every religion in our world, by the way. It sells a bill of goods of what you must do or what you can do or what you have to do in order to be saved to achieve right standing with God through works. You sum up any religion apart from Christianity and that is its bedrock. It's the false gospel of the Judaizers. No wonder they're living with concern with the fear of man. Do I measure up? I gotta do something. There's the way of man, works righteousness, and there's the way of the cross. The way of Christ, the offense of the cross that shouts there is nothing you could do to be saved that says that you deserve death, you deserve hell, that you are so evil that Christ must be fixed to the stake so that you would be saved. The cross says that you are no savior, but you need a savior desperately. The cross that says, it goes against your flesh that says, I can and I will. The invitation of the cross and the invitation of the Lord who shed his blood on the cross is a means of suffering and death that says, if you follow me, this will be your life too. And you can't separate it. And we seek to find living in our flesh a Christianity without the cross, but you can't find it and you won't find it. To think now that I've come to Jesus, I can now live in the means of the flesh. How foolish can we be? You can't live in the flesh, you must continue to live in the spirit. If you aren't fighting the flesh, I can assure you, you aren't living in the spirit. If you aren't denying yourself and you aren't putting yourself to death, I can assure you, you aren't living on the way of the cross. There are only two ways to live, by the flesh or by the spirit. It is the cross of Christ and the cross comes with Christ or there is no Christianity at all. Jesus isn't a supplement to your faith. He is the source and strength of your faith and your life in Christ. Are you tempted, beloved? Are you tempted to find life in Christ void from suffering? You won't find it. Following Jesus means following him in the way of the cross. And we have reduced and we have brought Christianity with a a lot of things. We've settled for Christianity with church membership. We've settled for Christianity with a life of comfort. We've settled for Christianity with little cost attached to it. And my fear is that we've settled for Christianity without a cross and it's no Christianity at all. Beware, beloved, beware of Christianity without the cross of Christ and without the cost of following Christ. Beloved, here's the the deal. We don't fear persecution. We don't fear the cost that it may cost us. Beloved, instead we have counted the cost and we consider him worthy of that cost. We live not in the fear of man, but we live in the fear of the Lord and we follow him. 
John 15, 20, remember the words that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If, you. if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. A warning of Christianity without the cross. Thirdly is the warning of hypocrisy. Note verse 13, they do this not just because they can avoid persecution for the sake of the cross, He continues in verse 13, for or because even though those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. You flip back to Matthew 23, this is a life of luxury. It's not a life of following the Lord, it's a life of ease for them. It's just a facade. It's just the appearance of godliness. It's the life of hypocrisy. A hypocrite is someone who says one thing and yet does another. It's someone that says, don't do, only do as I say, but don't do as I do. They're living as a hypocrite. Here's Jesus's words to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, verses two through four. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses's seat, so do, do not and do not observe whatever they tell you and not the works that they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay upon people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move with them their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Matthew 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Verse 27 and 28, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous before others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. They merely gave the appearance of godliness, yet they were really cold hearted. They hadn't been transformed They hadn't been redeemed. They merely gave the outward disposition of righteousness, but they were actually far from it. And Paul reminds them in Galatians 5.3 that those who would accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. For if you accept circumcision, you are obligated to keep the whole law. And they didn't keep any of it. It was just a religious facade. They wanted to look good in the eyes of man. And I'll say it again, that will be their only reward. It was a sham display. It was only to benefit themselves. They were willing to do an outward surgery to give the appearance of righteousness. But folks, it's the circumcision not of the flesh that matters. It's the circumcision of the heart. Have you been quickened by his spirit? And only God can produce new life and only new life can come through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So the apostle Paul would say in Romans chapter two, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Folks, we could say it this way, religion can expose you, but only Christ can save you. We could say rule keeping will expose your hypocrisy, but cross bearing will prove you to be a disciple. 
One pastor friend of mine said it this way, religion will make you a hypocrite, but only the cross of Christ will save you. Beloved, you don't need rules. You, you don't need the air of hypocrisy. You need Christ. Be warned this morning of the error, of the danger of religious hypocrisy, seeking the approval and appearance in the eyes of man. Beloved, the Lord looks on the heart. And man and his rules cannot change a heart. Only Christ can do this work. Only Christ can transform. As we close, a warning of pride. For even those, verse 13, who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that, there's their purpose, that they may boast in your flesh. Here again, the word for boasting, it means to glory. It means to, to, to gloat. It means to boast. It's a term that would mean to show off verbally. It would be to write about it, to post about it. These Teachers coming in Acts chapter 15 to say, unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved. They're bringing a persuasion. The same as the Pharisees and the scribes in Matthew 23, verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell yourselves. They were only converting them to a religion that would ultimately condemn them. It was their boasting literally in the flesh and warning against this flesh. Paul is arguing that you feed it and it will consume you. And these Judaizers are trying to attempt people to steer people back as a means of boasting, persuade them to their point of view on things. It was all about themselves. It was all about their pride. It was a selfish way to live. It was their, they were their trophies, so to speak, of their own doing. They would become their means of gain. Almost like, let me tell you how many circumcised we conform to our way and view of the law. They're my trophies of conversions and my trophies of accomplishment. It was a means of selfish gain. It was something that brought them the attention and they were only concerned about their glory. It's not much different than a church that looks upon numerical growth as a means of success as well. So as to say, look what we have achieved. Beloved, you can have a great amount of numbers on numerical growth and it might not mean anything. The real question is, what are you winning them to? What are you converting them to? Yourself, to self, to your glory? Come to your way of life, your crossless Christianity, easy believism, pray this prayer and you'll be saved. Just come be baptized so we can get our numbers up. And our Southern Baptist churches are filled with this type of pragmatism. All about us, all about me, all about our glory, something that we get. It's not about the glory of Christ. Scripture would say otherwise. Isaiah 42.8, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other. It's for the glory of God. And there may be many tempting things that we can cling to as a metric of a healthy church. How large is our budget? How many names are on the roll? How many programs do we have? How much money is in the bank account? 
And the same temptation rests in our lives as well. How many likes did I get on my social media posts? How many followers do I have on Twitter? Do I feel loved? Do I feel appreciated? Do I look good in the eyes of others? Here's my encouragement to you. Ball all of that up. All of that feeling of my glory. I want more for me. You ball all of it up and you look headlong into the bloodied, crucified cross of our Lord and Savior and say, well, how good does that look in the eyes of man too? The bloody, offensive cross. And men repudiate it and take offense to the cross of Christ. To which I would say then, it would be a tragic mistake for us to view worldly, carnal, visible results as a means of our boasting in the flesh. It's not about our anything. It's about Christ in everything. And he could care less how much money or how little money a church has if only they have faith and live accordance to his word. Folks, it's possible not to please God without, it's possible to please God without money or stuff, but it is impossible to please God without faith. Beloved, he could care less about the quantity of those in membership if only those who are in membership profess him as Lord accurately and profess his glory to the nations. He could care less if you have one program or a hundred programs, if only disciples are being made as he commanded. It's not about success in the eyes of man, but it is about faithfulness to his word, faithfulness to Christ, because he cares not so much about our name being made much of, but about his name, that we make much of him. And so Paul says, beware of the flesh. It's rising. Beware of the flesh. This is what self-exaltation looks like. It conforms you to you. And you begin to replace the cross with comfort. What about you this morning? What have you replaced the cross of Christ with? Have you replaced the cross of Christ with the religious cloak that just says, if I could just look good in the eyes of others, have you replaced the cross of Christ with idolatry to say, if I can only just be safe, if my kids are only safe, it's an idol. Anything that we place above Christ is an idol. And in many good things can be elevated in the life of a believer that take Jesus off the throne and put something of your flesh there. And God is not honored in that. Have you done that this morning? Have you begun to be tempted to live your Christian life without the cross? Have you replaced the cross of Christ with that of hypocrisy? Have you replaced the bloody offensive cross of Christ? It's all about his glory and made it all about yourself and made it all about your glory. I'll close this morning with, again, Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts the Lord is safe.
Are you safe this morning? Or have you been enslaved? Have you been ensnared to the fear of man? Living in the fear of man that says, I need to puff myself up. I need to make myself look better. And replacing the cross of Christ for a number of things. Is it about you or is it about Christ this morning? Fear of man brings a snare. But those who trust in the Lord are safe. Let's pray. Well, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. If you'd like more information about Prospect Baptist Church, you can visit our website at prospectbaptistchurch.org, or you can find us on Facebook by searching Prospect Baptist Church, Fayetteville, Tennessee. If you live in the Fayetteville area, we would love for you to join us in worship on Sundays at 1030 a.m. If you're not comfortable doing that at this time, we understand, but please know we are live streaming our services on Facebook Live. We do hope to see you soon and look forward to you worshiping with us. Until next time on the Prospect Sermons Podcast.